we are back in our series walking through 1 Corinthians where we've been looking at the call to the church's holiness, both the calling and the challenge. We find ourselves wrapping up chapter 4 this morning, finally, after being in chapter 4 for the past several weeks. And again, as we have seen Paul already do since the beginning, since the beginning of chapter 1, Paul is going to give another word of warning, uh, but not just any word of warning, but a word that is coming as a warning from a heart of love and encouragement. Now, you've probably heard me use that phrase over the past several weeks. I want you to continue to bear that phrase in mind as we wrap up chapter 4 today. You're going to hear Paul speak to that a little bit more. But then also as we begin to look ahead into what's coming in in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, because there's going to be a, a real call and a real challenge that's issued by Paul. But again, these calls and challenges are not just to be nitpicky or to continue to poke and prod Uh, at the Corinthian Christians, but rather Paul is seeking for the Corinthian Christians to continue to grow in their own holiness. And so these words that he shares, even the difficult words, if you've been reading ahead, we're going to get into some pretty tough text, um, but they're coming from a place of love and they're coming from a place of encouragement and a place of hope where Paul wants to continue to see uh, the Corinthian Christians grow within their own holiness. You see, Paul speaks to the Corinthian Christians as if he is their spiritual father who is offering his children some parental advice. And we're going to see some of that parental advice today. Now, I don't know about you or how parental advice has gone for you, but sometimes we don't even realize that the parental advice that's being given to us was advice that we even asked for. But one way or another, as a good and loving parent, we are going to receive some sort of advice from uh, a position of love and a position of concern from a parent who deeply cares. Now, in thinking about that phrase, I want to ask you this question. Does that sound vaguely familiar to your own life? I mean, just think back to, to some of the advice that we have gotten from our own parents in our own lives. Have you ever been given some parental advice? Or maybe we can, between the word some and parental, we can bracket the word good, okay? Because we have to clarify, because some parental advice we get, pretty good. Other parental advice, I don't know. Now, some of you may know where I'm coming from because you might have met my mother. And so you know some advice is good, some advice may be a little iffy. I probably shouldn't have said that because we record this and I know she's going to listen later. I'll make sure to ignore that phone call when it comes. Either way. Now, the parental advice that I'm thinking of and speaking of is not the parenting advice that we get from friends or the parenting advice we get from a book or even a podcast on how to be a parent. I'm actually thinking more about the conversations that we have with our own parents. The ones where our parents offer us their opinion and say, well, this is just my opinion, but I thought you should know. It's in those moments that you quickly realize that what it is that you're being told may be more of a correction on how to do your job better or how to keep a home better or even to to raise your kids better. And we can often get frustrated with this advice. Maybe some of us have been offered parental advice that you received when you were younger, maybe when you were single or in college or you were still in high school. And now that you're older, here's what you realize about that parental advice. One, Your parents were right. And what they told you that you thought was crazy, it was correct from the beginning. Which leads you to a second truth. 
that maybe, just maybe, in our younger days with our parents, maybe we should have listened a little bit more. And then here's the irony of the whole situation and how I know and believe that God has a sense of humor. You see, here's what happens for many of us. You, you get older, you get married, you become a parent, and then the third truth happens to you. You realize you are the one that is now giving parental advice, and therefore you have now become your parents. And you realize that you are now talking to your children the same way your parents spoke to you. But at the same time, you realize that now your own kids are responding the same way you responded to your parents. I am currently living that dream in my home. I have called to apologize to both my mother and my father in hopes that they would forgive. By God's grace, they have. And then they said, I told you so. Amen. Some of you are living that reality now. I'm glad to know I'm not alone. Here's the truth. Some of what our parents said to us might have been crazy. However, every now and then, in some of the most tender moments of our lives, they gave us a nugget of truth. A nugget of truth that was wrapped in the Word of God. And we may remember those moments, and we quickly realize that what we had before us might have been a word of warning. It might have been a word of caution from our parents, but at the end of the day, it was still a word of encouragement, a word that was wrapped in care and concern and, and love from a person who, who loved and cared for us in a way that we could never imagine in the moment. Well, as we look at our text this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning of verse 14, this is exactly where we find Paul in his writing. You see, after encouraging the Corinthian Christians how they should live and then warning them not to pursue a path of pride or a path of worldliness, Paul now turns his attention to really yet another warning. And ultimately, he says to the Christians, or the Corinthian Christians, let me offer you some good parental advice. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would encourage you to join me now in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we will begin reading in verse 14, and we will conclude at the end of the chapter. And I would encourage you now, if you have found your place in the Word, if you can and you are able, I would ask that you stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Now, this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, writing to the Corinthian Christians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, and I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love and a spirit of gentleness? 
The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, after really hitting the Corinthian Christians with some rhetorical questions that we saw a week ago, followed by some, some scathing or cutting sarcasm as we saw a week ago, Paul now turns his writing back to what it is that he wants the believers in Christ to now know. You see, Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to know that he loves them. And ultimately, that is why he is writing to them with so many warnings. So Paul's not trying to to nitpick the Corinthian Christians or to nitpick us today through the word. Rather, what he's writing to us is a word of caution, a word of warning from a place of love. You see, since many of the Corinthian Christians came to faith during Paul's time and and Paul's ministry uh, while he was in Corinth, he took seriously his role as their spiritual father. So Paul tells the Corinthian Christians of his plans to come visit with them again, Lord willing. However, while they are waiting for that visit, Paul wants to continue to address their deep-rooted pride and their deep-rooted arrogance. So Paul offers the Corinthian Christians some good parental advice with the hope of challenging the church to remove their pride, to remove their arrogance, and to continue to grow in their holiness. You see, Paul tells the church he wants to come in love. He wants to come to them in gentleness, but if necessary. And if the sin of pride continues... He will come to discipline the Corinthian Christians for their lack of repentance. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to answer the question, what is the parental advice that Paul now offers to the Corinthian Christians? Advice that we ourselves should be putting into practice today. And Paul's actually going to offer them two pieces of parental advice. The first one being found in verses 14 through 17. Paul says simply, Imitate me. You see, after hitting the Corinthian Christians with a cold dose of truth through sarcasm, Paul now pauses in this moment to remind them of his love for them. Look again at verses 14 and 15. Paul says, I did not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Now, what jumps out of the text this moment is the word guides. You see, a guide during Paul's day, during the the day of the Corinthian Christians, was not a teacher. Excuse me. A guide was more of a, a babysitter who kept watch over children during their days of immaturity, and they would probably help teach some some good morals and some good manners to the immature, but very few of these guides took their role and responsibility seriously. Thus, the role of guide to the children or to the immature was either well-loved or well-hated. Because in many cases, the guide didn't care for the child as if the child was a part of their own family. And so Paul says this. He says that you have had a lot of folks teach you right from wrong. Some of them have been good. Some of them you have hated But no one has cared for you. No one has loved you enough to teach you the hard lessons and the values of life. So Paul says these next words. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
In other words, Paul is saying that since you came to faith by my presence, since you came to faith through the proclamation of the word, the word that that I came and proclaimed to you, I am now your spiritual father. Now, this is actually the same thing that Paul says of Onesimus to Philemon in Philemon verse 10, when he says, and I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In other words, whether you're reading Philemon or you're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 4 today, Paul doesn't see his responsibility to the Corinthian Christians as a one-and-done mentality. You see, Paul didn't just fly in all of a sudden, lead many to Christ, plant a church, and then fly out as fast as the wind could get him there. No, Paul loved the Corinthian Christians. He still had a desire to to speak truth into their lives as one who has authority, not as one under forced will, but as a father who loves his children and desires to speak life into them. And so Paul, by God's grace, came and proclaimed the gospel. And in grace, he laid the foundation of their faith. And it was his love for them that continued to drive them or drive him to see the Corinthian Christians continue to grow in their own faith and grow in their own holiness. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, I want us to to now pay attention to what it is that Paul is saying to the Corinthian Christians. You see, we have a responsibility to share the gospel. We have a responsibility to share Jesus Christ and to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. But the story doesn't end there. As Christians, mature Christians in our faith, those who are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should also in love and in grace continue to see that person grow within their own faith and grow within their own understanding of who God is. We should desire to see those people who have been converted now continue to be discipled no matter how difficult it may be or how frustrating that person may become within your own lives. You see, here's a truth that we need to understand today. If our only passion is missions and evangelism, which, oh, by the way, is a wonderful passion. But if we say this, our passion is missions and evangelism and nothing else matters, then we are missing the part where we are called to love people enough to stay in their lives for the purpose of discipleship. And so I want to ask you, when someone comes to faith, are we then taking the next right step and seeing that person being discipled according to the word of God? When someone comes to that moment of conversion where we can praise God for what it is that that God is doing, how it is that, that God is now working Are we then taking the next right step and seeing them connected to the local church where they can be discipled themselves? Or have we become a one-and-done version of Christianity? I want to tell you something in my own personal life. This actually happened to me. I remember the moment when when I came to faith in Christ, and then here's what happened. I I remember uh, Algernon leading me to faith in Christ, 
incredible man. He was an evangelist. He then moved on. And then I was left at just east of Atlanta wondering what was next. And let me tell you how good it got for me. I wandered and floundered for two years around Christians. And no one took the time to disciple me. No one took the time to say, hey, why don't you come to, come to church with us? I, I had a Bible, okay? And it had the tabs in it because I, I didn't even know what the tabs meant, okay? I was just looking at it going, okay, I see there's M-A-T, there's Matt. There's Matthew, by the way. I figured that out later, thanks to some good discipleship. But this is where I found myself. And I found myself wondering what next. And so I reached out to, to this friend that I had now in, in Algernon, and, and he came back and connected me to a local church. And there I met a, a pastor named Butch, which, by the way, is a phenomenal name for a pastor. And he began to, to meet with me individually and then to invite me to his home and, and it led me through the word of God. And he began to disciple me according to the word of God. And that's, that's when my faith really began to take off. And so I say all that to say this. The work of the gospel does not end at conversion. We have a responsibility to continue to see people grow and be discipled in their faith. Now, after establishing this point in the text, Paul now uh, moves from there and, and establishing his love for the Corinthian Christians, and then he gives them their first piece of parental advice. Verse 16, he says to them, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Now, upon initial reading, many of us read this and think this to ourselves. Okay, so Paul says, imitate me. So let's all be like Paul. It's kind of like the Like Mike commercials back in the early 90s. Remember that when we were all trying to be Michael Jordan, but none of us could jump? I couldn't even hit a layup, so it was all good. So we see this phrase, be imitators of me. And so we think to ourselves, be like Paul, boldly proclaim the gospel, stay close and immersed in the word of God, plant churches, and write a lot. Now, these are all good things. All things as believers in Christ, we should probably strive to do ourselves. However, when Paul is actually saying these words, he's actually reflecting back to how his life now compares with the example that he learned of from Jesus Christ through his suffering. In other words, let me unpack what, what Paul's talking about. When he, when he says, be like me, Paul is saying this, be like me and prepare to suffer. Be like me and, and stand upon the truth, stand upon the gospel, and prepare yourself for persecution. In other words, when Paul says, be imitators of me, he's now calling the Corinthian Christians to cut their ties to the world. He's again attacking their sin of pride, attacking, attacking their sin of arrogance, and he's saying to them, listen, stop focusing on wealth because you're not going to take it with you. Stop focusing on status, because no matter how popular you become, you will stand before the judge. Stop focusing on, on becoming popular and becoming an, an influencer, and if you're going to focus on anything, focus on making much of Jesus Christ. Focus on Christ himself and then prepare yourself to be isolated and abandoned because knowing Jesus is completely worth it when it comes to the cause of Christ and the hope and the, and the glory to come. You see, that's where the hope lies. 
It's as one scholar said it this way. He said, preach Jesus and then die. As Christians, that really should be our hope. Some people say, well, that sounds so morbid. But really, if we truly believe in the calling that has been placed upon our lives, then that really should be our only hope, to make Christ known and then die. Because guess what? The story doesn't end at death. There is an eternal glory that is to come. Paul goes one step further. And he now explains Timothy's presence. Verse 17, he says, And that is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child of the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. Now, again, notice what Paul is doing when he says, I'm teaching this message everywhere. This message of Christ crucified, Christ resurrected. The message I taught to you at Corinth is the same message I'm teaching in Ephesus. It's the same message I'm teaching in Galatia. It's the same message I'm teaching in Philippi. Notice the word of God and the message of the gospel does not change. Paul's just being faithful to the proclamation of it. But he says this. He says, I want you to to imitate me. I want you to to follow my example, but right now I can't be with you, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you the next best thing. I'm going to send you Timothy so that by following Timothy, you would be imitating him, therefore imitating the example that I have now set before you, an example that I have learned as I continue to grow in my faith in Jesus Christ. You see, Paul could do this with Timothy. Because Timothy, as he says, was my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. I mean, what a beautiful thing to say about another brother in Christ. What a a beautiful thing for for a sister in Christ to be able to to say that about another sister in Christ that that they're discipling. I mean, think about that for a moment. Timothy traveled with Paul. Timothy was, was, was with Paul. He, he proclaimed the gospel with Paul. He was present with Paul when Paul shared the gospel with the Corinthian Christians, and, and he was loved by Paul. So clearly, Timothy is someone that Paul trusts, and yet at the same time, it's Timothy who is now someone who understands what it means to live by the example that has been set before him by Paul. In other words, Timothy knows Paul's way of life. Timothy knows a life of moral character. He knows what a life looks like that has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's goal was simple for the Corinthian Christians. He wanted to see them live in such a way that reflects and aligns with the life of Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we the type of Christian that can be followed? Can we look at younger believers and not not just children and, and, and teenagers, I'm talking about young in faith. Can we look at young believers and say to them, follow my example, imitate me. And through that imitation, we point people to Jesus Christ. You see, this should really be the goal in discipleship. It should be to to look upon another life as as a parent looks at a child and say to them, imitate me. Follow my example. You see, because through the imitation, 
that child or that person will continue to look more and more like Jesus Christ as you continue to look more like Christ and less like yourself. You see, here's a truth I want to give you, kind of a subtext here, if you will, okay? So I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase what we just read. If your life or words cannot be imitated as a Christian, you might be doing it wrong. You might need to seek some accountability. You might need to seek your own discipleship and see to your own personal growth. So can your life be imitated this morning? Does your life point people to Jesus Christ? Paul moves on from the calling here of the church to imitate him to now offering a second piece of parental advice on how we should now live in light of the fact that we are the ones to be imitated. So Paul says, imitate me. But then the second thing he says is this, actions matter over words. Action over words. Verses 18 through 21. Now, I love that phrase, but I really love how Paul says it. Paul describes it this way. He calls it power over talk. I love that. Notice in the text that Paul's now going to express his concern for what is happening amongst the Corinthian Christians. He says in verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Now, the arrogance over those, this this arrogance that he's speaking of is actually the arrogance over those seeking fame for themselves. And that fame had become so strong, that pride had become so strong that not only did they believe that Paul wouldn't come to them, but they took it a step further and they believed that even if Paul came to them, he would do nothing to stop them. They believed that that they could really just out-rhetoric Paul. I mean, just imagine that for a moment. So, so Paul wasn't just coming back to check the pride of the church in terms of, of who they were now following. Are you following Paul or Peter or Apollos? No, no, he's, he's actually coming back to put an end to the arrogance that encompassed the church. And so Paul wanted to be there. He wanted to come soon, but even in his own words, he understood in verse 19, if the Lord wills. You see, ultimately, Paul knew and understood what his desire was. However, only God would determine when Paul would come. Either way, Paul was coming not for the talk of these arrogant people. He was coming for their power. In other words, Paul was coming to hold accountable those who thought they were greater than the church. He was coming to hold accountable those who thought their words were greater than the word of God. He was coming to hold accountable those who thought their life and their influence and their popularity was greater than Jesus Christ. You see, here's a truth that we need to understand from verses 18 and 19 at this point. When we become so arrogant that we are unwilling to receive accountability in humility then we now have an authority issue. When we are unable to receive accountability in humility, not only do we have an authority issue, but now we have an authority issue with the leaders that God has set apart to lead the local church. And not only do we now have an issue with those leaders, but we now have an authority issue with the church itself. 
When we are unwilling to receive as as brothers and sisters in Christ accountability and humility, then we also now have an authority issue, not only with the church, but, but with the word of God. And thus, we now have an authority issue with Jesus Christ himself. And yet, sadly, this is what many Christians have become today. They continue to talk, and they continue to talk, and they continue to talk, seeking their own praise, boasting in their own wisdom, and then when they say something or do something that goes against the word of God, and ultimately they are being held accountable for it, they run, and then they begin to seek division. And Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, oh no, that's not happening on my watch. I'm coming to put a stop to that. Let's let's now see if their words match their actions. Let's see if their words match the power that is found in the word of God. And again, I want us to hear something from Paul because some people would read this and say, man, whoa, Paul just said he was their father and and now he's attacking them. Like, like is Paul really, is, is he coming hard after them? Is he about to just start like hanging people by their toenails? Did anybody ever hear that from a parent? Did you ever get that threat as a child? If you don't do right, I'm going to hang you by your toenails. Any of y'all ever hung by your toenails? I'm just curious. No? Okay. So it wasn't just me. Perfect. Paul wasn't coming to attack the people. He was coming to correct them. He was coming to lovingly discipline them because he loved them. He was coming to test their words spoken in judgment, test their words spoken in pride, spoken in arrogance based upon a a particular style that they desired. And he was coming to, to, to test those words compared to the preached word of Christ crucified and Christ resurrected, the only message that matters. And I was listening to a podcast not too long ago and I heard a missionary say it this way. And man, I could really wish I could remember this guy's name. And if I find out, I'll come back to you. He said it this way. When we as Christians lose sight of the gospel, when we lose sight of the call, when we lose sight of, of the word of God and the spoken word of God, that is when we divide. And what happens when we lose sight of the gospel, when we lose sight of the word of God and, and the call to unity, that is when we begin to fight one another. Because as Christians, even we need something to do. I thought that was rather interesting. Because here's the reality. This is exactly where the Corinthian Christians were. They had lost sight of the mission. They had lost sight of the gospel. They cared more about style than they did substance. And now they were divided. They were divided over words. They were divided over particular pastors. And Paul says to them, listen, we're going to test those words. We're going, to, we're going to take action, not with fancy speech, but, but with the power and the, the authority of the gospel. And in the text, when you continue to read, Paul tells the church why this testing is coming. He says it in verse 20. He says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Now here Paul is speaking about the power and the authority that is found in the message of Jesus Christ. He is speaking of the power that is found in the message of the cross. Paul is going to root out the sin issue that has no power when it's now compared to the power that has come through Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom. You see, Paul is pointing the Corinthian Christians to where true power is found. 
This is why Paul says that, that our actions need to match the authority that is found in the living word. And that power is centered on the cross and it comes with a kingdom where the power of God will be unleashed. And no one can stop it. Let me unpack this a little bit further. Our power is not found in our own style. Our power is not found in our own delivery or our own presentation or even our own words. Our power is found in the gospel. Our power is found in God. Our power is found in the preached word of God, the preached word of Jesus Christ. Our power is found in the kingdom that is to come. And so Paul is literally teaching the Corinthian Christians in this moment, your words do not lead people to salvation. It is the word of Jesus Christ that by the grace of God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that is where the power is found, and that is who does the work. Again, in saying this, Paul wants the Corinthian Christians to stop looking for style and start, again, living by the words and the teachings of Jesus, Jesus Christ, living by the example that comes from the very word of God. And then notice what Paul does. Paul closes this text by asking a question in verse 21. He says, so what do you wish? I love it. Paul gives them a choice, as if there's a choice. Like, did you notice that? Again, that's another one of those parental things that we've dealt with. Remember how mom and dad used to give you a choice even though you really didn't have a choice? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? They had a choice. And Paul's desire was to come in love. Paul's desire was to come in gentleness. He was, he was their spiritual father. That was the goal. However, if the Corinthian Christians were unwilling to repent, then in love, Paul would come to bring discipline because it would be necessary. Paul's hope was to see the Corinthian Christians repent and turn from their ways in order to, to see relationships restored in grace. He, he wanted to, to see not only relationships restored in grace, but he wanted to come and, and root out pride and, and root out arrogance. He wanted those sins to die. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, man, when it comes to our own actions, when it comes to our own words, I mean, we, we talk often of repentance. We talk often of forgiveness. But here's the reality. Do we seek it out? Do our actions reflect that of someone really who can be followed? Someone who, who willingly admits when they were wrong and, and willingly, willingly seeks out forgiveness and, and repentance and seeks out grace and, and, and offers grace. Through those actions and words, do we again reflect someone who can be followed or are we simply living with empty talk? My prayer is the same as Paul's, is that we would be a people whose words match their actions so we can say, just as Paul did in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, and if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I pray that that would be our heart's desire as we allow our actions to speak 
louder than our words. You see, Paul in grace instructs the church now on how to live in light of all that he has taught them thus far. And his message was very simple and very clear. Imitate. Imitate me. Paul was literally saying, follow me. Man, if you're thinking about it, those words sound familiar, don't they? I think, I think Jesus said those words to the apostles, didn't he? Follow me. Paul was hoping here that the Corinthian Christians would really lay aside their pride, lay aside their arrogance, and, just, and he simply said to them, listen, just watch me. Just, just imitate me. Imitate my actions. Follow my actions. And, 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 and may, your, may your actions themselves be greater than words as you seek to give God the glory. You see, Paul could say this, and he lived this way because he knew that God's kingdom was coming. He knew the power that had come. He knew the power that was coming again. He knew the power that existed in knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And so in a moment of grace and a moment of love with a, with a word of warning as a father figure speaking to his children, Paul wanted the Corinthian Christians to know the authority of the word of God and then to put that word to action and to follow his example by following Timothy, whom he loved, whom he sent, and he was going to do it all so that God would be magnified, that God would be exalted, and that God would be glorified above all else. Paul was again saying, listen, it's not about me. And it's not about Apollos. It's not about Peter. It's all about Jesus. And so I think it's safe this morning that we could really sum up Paul's words this way. He was giving some good parental advice. And my prayer is that we would hear this truth and be the people who can now uh, be imitated by those around us all for the glory of God. I want to close this message with a quote. I'm kind of a fan of doing this now because, again, I feel that if all else fails in these notes, there are older, wiser people who said it better. And so I've got one for you. Robert Murray McShane, faithful pastor, considered the most saintly young Scottish minister of his time. Great Bible reading plan. If you're looking for one, let me encourage you to start the McShane reading plan. It is intense. It is wonderful and beautiful, great way to read your Bible and hold you accountable, okay? It's not that five-minute little nugget of truth that you're hoping for over a cup of coffee. It is wonderful and beautiful the way he unpacks the Word and, uh, and gives us this Bible reading plan that you can read in a year. Anyway, McShane says this about this passage. He says, the Christian is a person who makes it easy for others, both in action and in word, to believe in God. May that be said of us today. May our example, our actions, and our words lead people to the hope that can be found in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray together. May your glory know.